Welcome to the Contractor Freedom Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Phillips. This show exists to help small business owners like you escape the tyranny of contractor prison and enter the bliss of contractor freedom so you can have the time, money, and freedom to live your life with purpose beyond your business. As a certified human behavior consultant in disc personality styles and motivators, I'll be sharing with you skills for life, love, leadership, and business. I'll also be connecting you with experts that can help you scale your business and your life. So if you want to build the business and life of your dreams, then you are in the right place. Let's go. Hello, contractors. Welcome to the show. Today, I have another special treat for you. This guest is one of my favorite people in the business, and I love his no-nonsense approach. Brandon Lewis, founder and CEO of Painters Academy. Brandon grew his business from flat broke, like a lot of us, to over 1 million in uh, revenue repaint sales and 20 employees during like the worst recession since the Great Depression, as he likes to say. And in less than five years, he went on to sell his business for over $440,000 when the economy was still struggling. Uh, Brandon's an author and speaker. His works appeared in American and Painting Contractor Magazine, Paint Contractor Magazine, In Paint Magazine, Professional Painting Contractor Magazine, and PCA edu- ed- Educational Outlets, just to name a few. You probably already know this guy. But Brandon's worked with over 450 franchised and independent contractors in six different countries, ranging all the way from startups to 50 plus million dollar organizations. And he helps owners realize their dreams by using done-for-you tools and systems coupled with one-on-one and group uh, mentoring. So I just want to say, Brandon, welcome to the show. I am excited to be here. Thank you uh, for that introduction. It was worth the 20 mailed you. And I'm a big fan of Jason. Jason spoke at our Painting Profit Summit a couple, two or three years ago, I can't recall, about the very hot topic, and it's getting hotter right now if my if the reports from our members in in general in the industry are to be believed the dual employment w2/1099 conversation is getting hot and heavy with the new administration and <laughs> i believe there there's been a few of our members that got caught with their uh, pants down to the tune of a quarter to half a million dollars and we're going to see that where is, it goes that is real and i talk to guys regularly that do not have that set up. And that, that might could be a, an, another episode all on its own. We could probably even get a, a labor law attorney in on it as well, someone that could officially speak to it. You and I, we can speak our opinions and what we know. Obviously, we're not attorneys, but that is definitely a, a risk and exposure that business owners have for sure. So, Brandon, tell me, by, by the way, before we get off this, I want to talk about your upcoming summit, but not yet. I've got some questions I want to ask you. You were originally a painting contractor, right? So what prompted mm-hmm. you to to cash out there and start doing what you're doing now with Painters Academy? I've done a variety of things. Before I ran my painting business, I was in politics and nonprofits. And so I used to run U.S. Senate, U.S. House, state and local races. I wrote a book called How to Raise Money for Political Office and ran political campaigns and really enjoyed it. I had great success at it. I ran, I think, 13 of them and never lost one. But it was just 
it was a meat grinder. And so I started looking for franchising opportunities. Couldn't afford it at the time and ended up starting my own painting business. And after five years of that, I was also simultaneously getting ready. As I sold my business, I was running Congressman Desjardins' reelection campaign. I put his team together when he beat Lincoln Davis and flipped that seat. And I really am not the world's best uh, manager of people. That is just the God's honest truth. Everybody will tell you they're great at everything. I'm not the world's best manager of people. But what I really was good at was sales, marketing, and putting uh, operational systems in place. Meaning if there was a problem that existed in a painting business, I would come up with a solution in a, in a way that was reproducible. And it got to where, because everybody else was struggling so much during the recession and we were doing so well, that a couple of times a month, and I know that you get this all the time, somebody would call you and say, I got trouble with my business. I got trouble with my business. I got trouble with my business. Can you help me? Can you help me? Can you help me? And after a while, I was like, maybe I'm better suited since there are a lot of uh, contractors and not nearly as many people that really want to help folks the business into the business. Maybe I help people do that instead. And so I started out with a mixed breed approach and then I quickly just niched down to painting contractors, not because I think a man in a van business is much different from one to the next. I don't think it is fundamentally, but clients do. clients do. And so rather than have a 20 or 30 minute conversation about how the plumber is different from the painter, from the roofer, from the gutter guy, I decided I just would not have that anymore. We would be the Academy for professional damn painting contractors. And I've never since had anybody ask me, well, you would work for painting contractors. Yes. It's in the name. That is awesome. (laughs) Man, where were you when I started back in 1997? Where was anybody when we started? I had to learn started? everything the terrible. hard way. I, I had, had to, to, so to say, step in the wet paint so many times and trip and fall and waste a lot of time and a lot of money until I finally figured it out. A lot of money. So, I wasted a lot of money too. Left a lot of money on the table when I sold my painting business. If I'd done it, if I'd done three or four different things from the beginning, I could have sold that thing for a million something instead of 440 in the same time elapsed. That's wisdom comes from age and experience in most cases. And so that's just life, baby. You don't get to go back in the way back machine. That's, oh, that's for right. Bill and Ted's that's excellent right. adventure and no one so, else. So, you know, your philosophy, I've been to your summit a number of times. Amazing event, amazing event, tremendous value. I hear you constantly talking about the importance of business systems over making the craft of painting. I like to call that just making your widget. And how did you come to this realization? Or or like you said earlier, maybe you're just a systems thinker. I suppose so. I can't paint. I've never painted at all. Two times. Well, I think I was 16. Dr. Garrett, who I worked for a veterinarian, tried to get me to paint a rental house. And three days later, nothing had been done. And what had been done was poorly done. And then again, my I built a wheelchair ramp with for my grandmother when she had fallen. I, I took one of our painters to Alabama. We loaded up in the van and we built the ramp. I said, we own a painting business. I guess we should paint the ramp. It was terrible. My wife took the brush away from me. She said, you were never to do this again. And because I didn't have any painting responsibilities in running my company, I was like, I've got to figure out production rates and job costing, and I've got to find out how to work these B2B relationships. I need to go after commercial repaints. This sales process is not very persuasive. What can I learn about that? And so I really, at the beginning, I had a lot of time on my hands and I had to spend all that time marketing because in 2008, everybody was holding on to their dollars and you had to put in twice as much marketing to get half as much in the way of leads and revenue. And so it was put up or shut up time and I had too much pride to fail, even though I probably made a bad decision (laughs) 
at the time making my transition, but I wouldn't admit that to anybody then. I, I'd do it now. And so I, I was just forced uh, to wow. do it. You know, you, man, just talking to you is just making me think back to that time that in 2008. That was, for those that were in business, that was an interesting yeah. time. A lot of contractors went bankrupt during that time, a lot. Yes. I'll tell you a quick story. I founded a thing called the Chattanooga Trades Association, and I'm a big, huge fan of B2B referral relationships. I don't know why people don't invest more time, energy, or effort in them. I think a lot of people just aren't relationship focused. But I went around and said, I've got this idea. We're going to survey our clients. We're going to have a biweekly meeting, and we're going to exchange these surveys every time we do an estimate. And it was remarkably successful because we saw 20 estimates a week or so. They saw 14, 27, however many they saw. They checked 70% of customers would fill it out. They'd check 2.1 boxes. We got together and swapped these things around. And it amazes me how remarkably receptive in 2008 people were to anything, anything that would make the phone ring. If I went to present that idea, maybe today they'd be a bit similarly interested. But if I had gone to present that idea two years ago, everybody turned their nose up at it. But in 2008, everybody's out, whatever keeps the lights you know, when you have it. no, when you have no option, but to succeed, you start getting creative. Right. And it's like you, I've never, I've never really painted. I've painted, I've painted twice in my life. The first week that I was in the business, I was a helper on a crew and, or on a on a two man crew. It was a spray man and me. We painted this big, huge house and I was the helper. And gosh, I, I learned a lot about hand painting French doors and divided light windows. Learned a lot. And then the only other time I've painted was we were doing a TV show a few years ago. Hey, we want to see you paint, Jason. And I'm like, oh, hey, Rodrigo, get off that ladder. Give me that spray gun. <laughs> and that, that was it. He's like, you're going to make a mess. <laughs> no, but I'm not a painter either. Some guys are, they come in as craftsmen. And my background was sales mm -hmm. and marketing. And each of those two gateways or paths tend to, I see have entrepreneurs that have different limitations in their business. And so, yes, I would, I, you, you've been putting nine, would you say 85 to 90, maybe even higher percentage percent of people that are painting contractors today are really trades folks turned business owners. That's what I see. Maybe I get a little bit more of a skewed number because of the size, but it, it's primarily, that's the pathway. That's most people that are in, that own a painting contracting business. They were a painter and a crew. At some that's point what I'm seeing by and large. And what, what do you see, Brandon, is the number one mental hurdle that these guys need to get over? So it seems to me that every painting contractor is remarkably opinionated and dedicated to painting a project the right way. For example... We're not going to paint it, pressure wash it, scrape it, and prime it in that order. We're just not. And everyone would say, that is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. They'd jump up and down. That's something you should probably post in a Facebook group just to see what would happen. But when you talk about sales, the prevailing opinion is that it can be done any old way. When it comes to estimating, they think you can guess and you can't and not be accurate without variance. They think that there is no methodology or best practice way to stay in touch with or generate repeat and referral business or to manage your cash flow or anything. They're like, no, it's just, I just do a good job and it's all word of mouth and whatever. And that is a mindset of poverty. If you are going to do anything for a living, 
you need to get really good at the component parts and become a serious student of it for some period of your life. If you do not in the trades business, you will work yourself to death for about 20, 30, 40 years. And then there at the end, right before you go off to your great reward or leave your widow behind, you will roll your crap out on the side of the road and you will run a Craigslist ad for old used paint equipment. And that will be the sum total of your economic legacy. And so if folks don't want that to happen to them, and I see it happen with such regularity, it, it is disheartening because there's money laying everywhere, everywhere. And you just got to go pick it up, but, it, but there is a way to pick it up. And there are things to learn above and beyond putting the paint on the wall or attaching the gutter to the soffit or whatever it is you do. For- I liken it to the Peter principle, and that's more of a corporate term where managers Good good performers get continue continue to get promoted until they're in a place of incompetence, and then you end up with a whole company of people that are really incompetent. And now, when you're incompetent, you're insecure, and you don't want to hire a superstar underneath you that might make you look bad. And in a similar way in business, whether we came in as a salesperson or as a tradesperson, we don't know what we don't know. And if we don't understand that we're not in the we're really not in the painting business. There's, there's business skills, there's people skills. And if we're going to, what's our future dream? What's our vision? You know, what I think most people want when they start out, when they start out their business is they're, and they're wanting some definition of freedom. Now their, their, their definition may be different than mine and different than yours, but what does that, what does that freedom, you know, look like? And when it comes to business, it, I want my business to provide me with time and money. Now, that does, that's not total freedom. You still need health and relationships and faith to get total freedom. But from the business, there's that time and money. And most guys can't step away from their business without things falling apart within a very short time. I see that you, Brandon, one of the, one of the things I've heard you talk about a lot of times is a system for, let's say, generating leads and during uncertain economies. What are some best practices, yes. maybe some tips that our listeners could uh, adopt? So there are a few things that work and that create predictability and equity in your painting business. And I always talk about low-hanging fruit and about making sure that your foundations are real strong. Even, Jason, when I talk to folks that are running three, $5 million painting businesses that are only clearing... 300 grand or $150,000 or whatever it may be, which they could make painting themselves for 2000 labor hours at 60 bucks an hour. Just them, no help or no business. You don't need 50 people to make 150. You go make 150 by yourself. It'll be a lot easier. <laughs> and, and when they come to me and they got all these problems, like it's the same basic system omissions or broken systems over and over again. So a few of those in the marketing department, number one is, you have this huge client list of people that most painting contractors do not ever communicate with. They will spend ungodly amounts of money to talk to strangers that have never behaviorally experienced the hiring of a painting contractor yet. When you ask them how much money or time or effort they put into the people that have already funded their kids' education, uh, paid for their mortgage and their cars and their lifestyle, I don't spend any money on them. It's the strangers. But if you ask people, if your kids were kidnapped and held at gunpoint and you had to generate a hundred grand in three weeks, what would you do? 
It's never I would swap a credit card and run Facebook ads. It's I would call my customers, I'd email them, I'd go by and see them, I'd, I'd, I'd go reach out to everybody who's ever referred me. I'd go after some commercial, maybe some property managers that could give me some work real quick. And I'm like, why the hell aren't you doing it today? When you describe that desperate scenario, everyone knows what works, but it requires a little effort. It requires a little knowledge. Staying in touch with your clients with, a, with an emailed and mailed newsletter every month. Gosh, that is so basic and fundamental, but it's what every major industry does. You stay at a hotel, you give to a political candidate. If you uh, go to a retail or a restaurant uh, establishment that has their act together, they try to get you into a loyalty or awards program so they can market to you until you buy again or until you die. But we don't do it in the painting industry, and the only reason we can get away with it is because our margins, if they should be about 50%, which means you double your money on every project in about two weeks. It's because the economics in the trades is so uh, forgiving that we can screw up everything in the business and still make money, whereas if you try that in retail, you try that in the hotel business, you try that in a political campaign, you're going to be out of business. Uh, the, the other two points that I would make, and these are low-hanging fruit, are B2B referral sources. Realtors, interior decorators, roofers, plumbers, other people, they are in front of your clients, and they have a client list of thousands of people. They are constantly in front of them. I believe that relationship marketing is so much more powerful than picking off homes one at a time. When you find a realtor who can send you $150,000 a year predictably in revenue, Go find some more of those. Have a program for that. And then finally, commercial repaints. It's very, it tends to be a lot uh, more recession proof, especially during the winter months. You've got year end spending, and folks are putting together their fiscal budget for the next year, and they are also spending their fiscal budget for that year. You have winter shutdown work, people aren't in offices as much. So, those are three areas your past clients and unconverted leads your B2B referral sources, and then your commercial repaint or commercial services. If you run an HVAC company, if you run an electrical company, these are the same people in my niche. They're painting and yours, you may be cleaning the carpets or emptying the trash cans. Who knows what you're doing, but it's all about the same. You got a man in a van going to do something at a big box and the, the marketing and sales is Brandon, why almost do you identical. think that so many small business owners, contractors, painters don't keep in touch with their existing clientele? There, I think there's a, there's probably three reasons. The first it, it is the trades person transition, right? You walk out the door a crew leader. Tomorrow you're a business owner. It's almost like you're a horse and you have been saddled with this big, huge pack, but you don't know it. And in this big, huge pack that you have now been saddled with as an owner, which you did not have these responsibilities yesterday as a crew leader, now you've got to learn how to run a sales process. Now you've got to run how to marketing process. You've got to learn how to hire, recruit, and assess. You've got to learn how to manage your operations in the field. You've got to conduct crew meetings. You name it. But people leave and they think, I've still got this job over here, this old job I had yesterday. I'm like, the hell you do? You've got a brand new job and you don't even know the pack you've got on your back and you keep failing because you don't know what's back there. You have been saddled now. And you have got to learn how to do that stuff. That's the number one is I think people are just completely lack the awareness of understanding what they're in the business of doing. They think they're still the crew leader. They're just making money on the side and enough to keep the bills paid. The second thing, there are a lot of ridiculous fallacies in the minds of contractors about the worth of their past clients. They grossly underestimate the frequency with which they purchase 
the amount they purchase and the amount they refer. And therefore they think that it's, it's like having hip replacement surgery that once you do it, you ain't ever going to do it again. I painted that house back in 1976. There's no way they'd ever paint anything again. Yes, they do. They paint all the freaking time. And some of them are like serial paint. They are painting crap like every six months to a year. So I think that the combination of underestimating it uh, and then coming from the trades and then finally, it's not, it, it can be, but it's not really swap a credit card marketing. Like it requires you forming a personal relationship, especially with newsletter marketing. It's not about the color of the month and let me give you a 50% off and let me tell you about this new deck stain. I always tell our guys in your free time, I'll, do you read about paint? And they say, no. And I said, imagine how much your clients aren't reading about it. And so it's more about the personal relationship than the brand. And it's more about the consistency of communication than what you give them. And those are things that are largely uh, misunderstood. And I would say the only reason I have an intimate understanding of it is because in politics and nonprofits, all you have is a client in your communication system, and you are offering an intangible benefit that can't be measured. And so you've got to get that part right. And the beauty is when you use that approach and you offer a tangible service like we do in home services, boy, that's when the marriage is just so much more powerful than it even is in politics or nonprofits, but people leave the money on the table anyway. We, my company, I'm going to say me, I was guilty for a lot of years of ignoring my existing clients. And I think the reason that, that I did it was because we got really good at generating fresh leads. And then one day I'm like, oh my goodness, I've got this huge database of people. And we started learning how to mine that database. We also do roofing and we had a hailstorm locally this year. And just reaching out to our past clients in 30 days, we sold over $2 million just from that one thing in 30 days. And there's, I'm with you on that. There is, there's gold in that database, the gold in that database. It's absolutely. Well, I always tell our guys, it's a two things. It's a passing parade of interest. It's not a standing army. If you've got 1200 people in a database, X percentage of them, and it's higher in the summer months than it is in the winter, they're buying like that list is purchasing 200, $300,000, $400,000 worth of your services in that 30 day period. And if you're not in front of them, it's if it rains and you set out a rain barrel after it rains, you don't get any rain. It's got to be out there when it rains. And so you've got to constantly be in front of them to catch it and to make sure that they're not going to somebody else. Cause the way they found you, if you don't stay in touch with them is the, is the way they'll find the next painter. And they very rarely find us again. And that's why after year three or five, if you don't retain your clients, you either have the privilege of starting over again for eternity which is what most painting contractors do. Or your other option is to spend vast amounts of your personal income and overpaying for leads that that are smaller in size. The second transaction, Jason, is about 60% larger than the first. When I worked for Fresh Code as a corporate consultant, I got to see those numbers. And then they close at 60-70% versus net new leads. Even if you're a strong salesperson, you might get into the 40s. You're probably going to be in the low 30s to the mid-20s. And that has a compound effect, just like if you were running a, a gold mine. And if you had one mine that, that had really good solid ore and you had another mine that had crappy ore, and then you had your choice of, should I put it through a refinery that barely gets any of the gold out of the ore or should I get it in, in, in out of one that really gets all the gold out? 
And so that's what happens when you've got a, a low mix of repeat and referral business and a crappy sales process. You run all this volume through it and you get very little on the other end. Whereas if you've got good uh, lead sources and great sales processes for the same amount of effort and money, you that's get a, a much great higher way to put it. And I could not agree with that more. The, I, I lost my train, of, uh, my, my train of thought right there for a second, but the, oh, this was what I was going to say. I read this in a book and I can't, I'm going to have to go look this up and figure out the book. They said that every month that goes by that your client doesn't hear from you, their, your top of mind awareness in their mind goes down 10%. And after six months, you're on the same level, you're on the same playing field with all other competitors. And it's, yeah, or they become about as responsive as the phone book. I think that was a study by the American Marketing Association where they tested responsiveness of client lists through versus just random people. And you would think, and this is, there are a lot of things in life that are seemingly illogical, but there has to be a reason for it. You would think, okay, if I've got this client list and I never bother them, never communicate with them. When I do, they're going to be so freaking responsive and happy that I've not bothered them at all. And it's exactly the opposite. You condition people to tolerate being communicated with. And after a while, it is just run of the mill. Oh, that's my painter. That's my painter. But if you go 18 months, 24 months without contacting them, then it's, oh, what is this junk? They can't even remember who you are. The analogy I use, and this just makes people mad, they'll start arguing with me about the fact that their clients remember them, they remember them. And I always say, do you have any kids? And they always say, yeah. How old are they? Three years old. I said, what's the name of the nurse that delivered your baby that worked <laughs> with you for 18 hours, providing the most important service has ever been provided for you in all of your life for the most precious thing that you care the most about? What's her name? And you go, I don't know. I was like, yeah, but they remember you because you, you stained their deck and they talked to you for 30 minutes when you wrote an estimate. And it's just, it's theater of the mind. But people, a comforting excuse is better than a challenging opportunity. And so Man, you were cracking like me up. Stuff. That is an awesome analogy right there. I love that. That is awesome. Okay. When let's just say we've got a contractor or I'm a contractor and I'm trying to, I'm up and running, I'm selling, I've got my crew, I'm delivering those paint jobs. What do you see Brandon is, is a, a big inhibitor to growing or slash scaling. If you want to differentiate those two uh, terms, to, to really having your business take off? I tend to see the same, and I, we're in the process right now of just completely reorganizing our catalog of modules and toolkits that are really just siloed business systems because everything is just like your car, right? There's a carburetor, there's a engine, at least with my old car out here, there's, it's very simple, a painting business, there's a starter, you, there's a radio, you can put your hands on it, you can see it. It's not like a modern day complicated vehicle. Painting business is very simple. It's just a cash flow business. The, the things that I see that, that limit the initial growth and then later the profitability, even as the company grows are as follows, almost in this sequence. The first is time management. If you can't set aside four to eight hours a week to work on your business, implementing business systems or tackling very onerous projects, I can't help you and nobody else can either. You are doomed. Go get a job at Home Depot. It's all over. Time management. If checking one more email, if running one more estimate, if getting one more can of paint was going to fix anything, it would have already damn been fixed. 
That cannot be what it is. I always tell folks when they listen, I, we don't know. All we know is what you're doing now doesn't work. We've eliminated that methodology because you're on the phone with me. So let's pretend like at least we know this, like we've tested this does not work. So time management is critical. That is the only commonality I have found with our high performing owners. And they're all different colors and nationalities and ages and in different countries. But they use their calendar as a shield and not a sponge, and they're very deliberate in how they spend their time. The second one is job costing. People think that they're doing it, and they're not, and it needs to be real time. The crew leader needs to feel it. You need to be checking in on it every day. It needs to be tracked so that you can, you can't stop a train derailment after it's derailed. You got to be watching that track ahead of time and fixing things ahead of time. Third one is production rate estimating. People think they can guess. They can't guess. I pissed a bunch of people off at one of our events where I've dragged them all in a room and had them all guess. They all guessed different things. And then I dragged them in another room that was about the same size, almost identically with like 10% off. They guessed completely different guesses unrelated to the room's dimensions. People cannot guess. You cannot take a 10-foot board into your backyard without a tape measure and cut it exactly six feet. That's one measurement. But people think they can guess 50,000 estimate measurements on a house. Uh, production rates, staying in touch with your past clients, and then operational controls, like having a, a good, a, what we call an ultimate crew leader packet, something you can give your crew leader so they have the tool to manage a project by themselves independently so you do not create an army of zombies that depend upon your brain and then feed upon you daily until all it, your man. time is gone. <laughs> yes. You know, consistent, having consistent crew meetings where you're focused on metrics labor hour budgets, material budgets, customer satisfaction scores. I will not lie, cheat, or steal. There's these 10 things we do in our company, and they got to be done this certain way. It's all really elementary, basic business stuff and, and a persuasive sales process. I'll close with that. We sell something that is the cost, most of us, and some of us sell exorbitantly expensive things. Things are the cost of a middle-class divorce, a new used car, cosmetic surgery, a house, and we sell it like it's a can of beans on Amazon with an email PDF. And we're selling it in an industry where your best clients are old, wealthy, and living in homes that need to be repaired. And they've been lied to about 60, 70% of times uh, in their past by contractors. And you think because you showed up and you're honest and ethical, they're going to believe you and pay you a premium. They will not. And so you need all the proof and all the processes in your sales process so that you can convince them that you've reduced the risk and build value. Um, and so that is critically important too. So those fundamental things like, uh, what should we charge? Did we hit the goal? Can we get a lead? Can we sell a lead? Uh, can we keep our, our employees happy and motivated? And that's really what it is. And all of them have their own little separate Guys, system. listeners, this is gold. Everything he's saying, I'm, I attest to 100%. Brandon, back to the estimating process. The, a lot of times the owner... He's got a ton of experience and so he's got his computer in his head. And what I tell him is, hey, look, you can, let's say you can do this fairly accurately in your head. Guess who can't? The sales guy you're trying to train. And then if he, who's going to train the next sales guy if your company grows? It's going to be a complete train wreck disaster if you don't systemize the way that estimate. I hate the word estimate, but. It is. So you got, I think that people try to blend them. You've got estimating. Then you've got sales. 
that they're two completely different functions. We have two different modules. This is how you figure out how long it's going to take and how much it's going to be. And this one's like, how do you persuade people? Because I was always afraid if I tried to marry them together, people would get confused and they would just focus on production. And I think you're absolutely right. You can't, you'd be better off training someone to be like a a psychic (laughs) medium than to estimate based on cock your head to the left and pull this number out of thin air. It's ridiculous. We might as well try to summon up Eleanor Roosevelt's ghost than to try to teach somebody to guess. It's ridiculous. And that is the reason that painting franchises can take somebody using production rate estimating and make them more accurate in two weeks than somebody who's been estimating as an owner by guessing for 20 years. Because it's just, it's measurement, it's division, it's multiplication, and it's counting things. Your job's not to to guess how long it's going to take. Your job is to measure and do division and multiplication and then guess the things that do require a little bit of guessing. But even those, like for example, this built-in bookshelf back here, this is a weird thing. You don't paint these every day, but take a picture of the damn thing. Set a clock, paint it, stop it, put it in a production rate diary. You will never again have to guess how long it takes to do something like that, but instead people guess forever. I'm like, just why do people guess forever? It's, it just Sometimes drives me maybe crazy. It's it's just, we need to slow down and think, hey, I might have to do this again in the future or train someone to do this. And if I want it done right, and I, I know I'm a very fast paced person and I hate slowing down, but I, to, to teach or to write it down, but I know I've learned the hard way that if I don't slow down and write it down so that I can properly delegate it then it's going to come back to bite me. I've learned that the hard way too many times. Yes, and even when you do it properly, Mm. it's still going to come back to bite you, but not as frequently and not as hard. So you've got to reduce the instances of the biting and the severity of the biting. And like you said, putting processes in place and taking the time to train people. It's painful in the moment. And it it takes more time than if you just did it yourself, but you can't do it just by yourself forever. That's the problem. Or else one day you're going to get tired of climbing that ladder. Your knees are going to give out. Your back's going to give out. I've talked to plenty of those guys myself. And to, to me, you need to build a, to, you need to build a team. You, teams and systems scale. Yes. Hard work doesn't scale. So we may have already, co- you may have already covered this in answering the previous question. I was going to ask you, what is an example of a very, let's just say, stupid yet innocent mistake that contractors make that just sabotages their future? I don't know if this is the best answer or if it will be as as helpful for people as it is for me as somebody who mentors or tries to teach people how to do something correctly. And in most cases, what we're doing, honestly, is we're taking something that's not there and we're putting it in place. I'm just emailing a PDF. Well, that's not a sales process. That is a pricing delivery mechanism. That's all that is. You might as well take a cash register from the Dollar General and scribble on the back of it. It's a little bit elevated from that, but it's about there. And you're taking something that either doesn't exist and you're putting something in place of it, or you're taking something that's in poor repair and you're making it 100 times better. I would say this is probably it. The difference between a casual understanding of how something works or an awareness of the fact that you need to do it versus the expert implementation of that thing on a day-to-day basis is as far as the east is the west and there are a lot of folks that are in what i would call the their self-help addicts and they 
listen to a thousand hours of podcasts or watch a billion YouTube videos a month and they attend every time there's a conference, they go sit in the room and they think that is going to change something. And they think that they, because they have a general notion about what job costing is or production rates or whatever, that they're doing it because they're aware of it. You ask some woman that weighs 500 pounds at Walmart who's rolling around in one of those little carts that's motorized, and you ask her, how would you lose some weight, honey? And she would be able to tell you, diet and exercise. What you, tell me specifically. She'd probably eat about 2,000 calories or less. You should probably go out and walk. You might be, need to lift some weight. To, Thank you, ma'am. Thank you. She knows it. She ain't doing it, though. And so everybody knows most of what they need to do or have a general idea of it, but that is not doing it and doing it often enough to where you learn the ins and outs of it. I'll close with this on that point. I'm mesmerized by fires. Building fire, I've got three fireplaces in my house. I got one out here and it's got one going right now. And I've learned like how to chop it down. What way do you burn it? Well, what's the best way to do a fire? What burns slow? What burns hot? How long we could been? How much little wood could I use? I know more about starting a fire than is practically useful. And I do it every night. It's like a hobby. I think I was probably reincarnated. I was probably like a coal shoveler. I think that's probably somebody in my distant past had to keep a fire going or they would die. And so that is built into us. I think it is hunter gatherers, maybe from days of yore. You learn so much by doing something repeatedly if you have an interest in it. But if you have no interest in it, and if you don't do it repeatedly, you'll never be good at it. And so I would just say to your listening audience, if you are guilty of just learning, learning, activity masquerading as results, Ask yourself, what's the practical application? Have I applied it in any way, in any meaningful way that'll make a difference? And if the answer is no, think a little less, do a little more, get out of your own way, because it's action that will ultimately leave you, lead you to where you want to get, and, and massive action gets Reminds you Reminds me of, what's the movie? Always a bridesmaid, never a bride. It's like always a student, never, <laughs> never achieving results, <laughs> maybe. I don't know, but you're right. I meet guys yes. like that quite often. They've read every book, they've attended every seminar, but they're still... In, in a bad spot. I tell our guys often that my smart, uh, my, my dumb students run circles around my smart ones. The dumb ones are out there. They've just <laughs> blindly done what I've asked them to, and they're putting checks in the bank. And my smart ones have told me 15 reasons why what I recommend is better than what they're not doing. And they can't get out of their way. They're often they're college educated because I, and I am too, I got an MBA and all that stuff for what good it did me, which is not much. And people think that they're they're just too smart, too smart for their own good. I always tell folks, shave off about 30 IQ points and just go out there and get to work and doing this specific thing and call me and complain if it doesn't work. I've made that promise to hundreds of painting contractors. Call me and complain if it doesn't work. Not one phone call in 10 years because they're always doing something that they weren't doing before and they get a good result for it. I just got to, I don't care how I got to get people to do stuff embarrass them, shame them, make them feel ridiculous. I just need you to do the damned thing. And then they do the thing and they're like, oh, this is so great. I'm like, I know I had to pull teeth for months. So this is what you want to do, Jason. I hope your, I hope your blood pressure's in good shape. I hope you're very patient. Man, you are cracking me up. Hey, I've got another, I've got another question just popped in my mind (laughs) that a lot of times the market's tight right now, Brandon. I'm going to have to drop my prices. <laughs> what do you say? What do you say when you get that? How, what do you write? What do you recommend? So the first thing I would 
say is let the math inform your decision and not your feelings. <clears throat> Are you looking at your close rate? Do you truly have slippage? How much, if, if you lowered, and this is the other thing, I'll, I'll continue on here. If you lowered your prices by 10%, which is now, if you're at 50% gross profits, is 20% of your income. And if you've only got 20% margins, is that last part going to be your paycheck as the owner? People don't think about things like that. They don't think about it mathematically. And that's number. That's probably like the biggest thing. They just don't do the math. And the other thing is, if you can't be the cheapest, be the most expensive. Uh, you can run a lot smaller organization and make a lot more money and serve the people you actually want to by being the Lexus dealer instead but of the Brandon, Kia dealer I, in your market. I, but and Brandon, there are I need to be competitive on my prices. I don't want to overcharge people. Most of the time, the reason pa- people can't get the prices that they are trying to command has nothing to do with the number. It has everything to do with having a, uh, a weak relationship or no relationship with their clients. They're processing a thousand leads a year and 90% of them are net new cold leads off the internet and they wonder why they don't close. And then their sales process again is one of these pet the dog. Oh, there's a bowling trophy on the wall. I know so-and-so we're going to caulk this and spackle that. I'm a good guy and I've been doing this for 50 years and my daddy was a painter too. And let me email you an estimate and do you have any questions? And I'm going to follow up for a week and a half and then I'm going to quit. Even though the average American takes 68 days to make a $500 major home purchase, you're going to quit selling $5,000 transaction sizes in seven days or whatever. Like it's just usually people can't get the price because their relationship is weak with their client and their sales process is not persuasive. So guys, it, it is rarely is it the price. It's occasionally the price I have seen. I've truly seen it, Jason, but it is so rare. I've seen a few people that have overpriced themselves to the point where they've hurt their client relationship because they're probably in unethical territory, but that is so rare. And nobody ever pushes the envelope on price in our industry. Rarely ever. I agree. I was just, when I got in, I just did what I was told. Just take your, your labor materials and double it. And that's what I, that's what I did for so long. And it's, that worked it's easy. Well. It's easy, but it's, I, I wouldn't be anywhere near happy with those type of margins now, but Hey, let's, before we run out of time, let's talk about, let's talk about the summit, the, the painting profit summit. So that's coming up in January, right? Last weekend in January, it'll be in Chattanooga, Tennessee. I've surveyed people. They like it here. We're going to be in the historic Reed house hotel, which is a beautiful art deco hotel built in the early 1800s. It's my favorite place to take my wife for dinner. Bridgman's Chris Pesterfield's my waiter down there say hey to Chris if you go down to Bridgman's and you come to Summit ask for Chris he's a good waiter but it's just a fantastic we're starting out with a pre-day I think I'd mentioned to you that Tara Riley former CEO of Fresh Coat Painters which was the second largest organically grown franchise until ProTech bought five star there uh, she's going to do a, a section on leadership and management she's now our COO I'm going to be teaching the power paint presentation process for folks that have a real weak sales process. If you want to walk away after four hours and have something that you can immediately implement and go back and do. And then we have just great general sessions that are all taught by people just like you, Jason, who I know to be successful in a certain aspect of their business. And I'm having them now deliver that information to other people. A lot of times you go to conferences and I know this because I've done like almost 3000 business assessments. Somebody will be up there talking and I'm like, I talked to you six months ago and you're damn broke. <laughs> and I'm like, this is terrible advice. Do not listen to this. But I can't even sit in the room. My armpits are sweating. I'm like, these people are going to be poor by the time they come out of here. 
But there are people that have actually done good work, and then we break up in peer groups in the evenings based upon sales volume and run through a litany of questions that are siloed by business processes and segments. So it's a great time. In closing, I always think about it as like a family reunion of painters. Everybody is just so nice and so welcoming and so open and ready to share. And they're big companies. I think the average was 2.4 million last year, up from 1.4 million two years ago. So like our group's growing in sales volume. If you have nothing better to do and you would like to come to the South where people are nice and hospitable and our streets are relatively clean and, and unlittered with human detritus, this would be a great place to come. I, I, I almost can't stop laughing with your dialogue. This is awesome. So for our listeners out there, I can tell you this. Uh, I, here's one of the things I love seeing. I love it at the, that dinner you have at the end. I hope you're doing it again, where you parade all of your clients by and you recognize the achievements in their life, not just their business. It's not just about, Hey, I grew revenue. You're recognizing them based on quality of life improvements. And sometimes that's revenue. Sometimes that's free time. And I love that. And list contractors, Brandon has a tight, a tight community. He's adding real value and if you can make it, I know a lot of you guys are, are already going to the expo, which I, that's a don't miss event as well. You've got you've to sign up and go to the Painting Profit Summit. It'll be well worth your time. I guarantee you'll come away with some golden nuggets that are going to be valuable. Brandon, what's, where's the best, what's the website to sign up? Paintersacademy.com. And then our probably second biggest is painters are watchers. They are not listeners as much. And YouTube, our guys are visually oriented, probably as tradespeople that put paint on the wall. They tend to watch a lot. So our YouTube channel's got all kinds of helpful information and teaching going back as far as 2014, I believe. And it's is a there good resource still, and we can, is there still an early registration for the summit? Yes, we have up until, which by the time this airs, y'all may have missed the boat. It's 11 November 30th. We cut off. We have an early bird registration event. But I think 80% of our registrants come from just in December. So painters are last minute. And you, know, you could you can do anything you want to. You could drag them out of their house by their hair and put them over in front of the computer and give them the money. And they ain't going to register until December. And so I've learned this over the years. It doesn't matter how much you carpet bomb them previous to December. Like They're going to wait to the last minute. I don't even know that the discount does anything. Well, well guys, I'd, I'd like to say this before we wrap up. <clears throat> A lot of folks that try to help painting contractors have not helped themselves. And Jason is not one of those people. And he has, has built a very large, successful painting business, but he's also had the, the privilege and the honor to have to rebuild one. And you learn a lot more doing that than you ever will doing it. And most people think they've hit it out of the park. Most people do it mediocre and they get it real big. But Jason has gone through those transitions of scaling well and then having to retrench and learning that 2.0 is always better than 1.0. And he has a wealth of knowledge and he has a, a, a particular understanding about the type of business he runs that so many of our members run that are hybrid models between W-2s and subcontractors leaning towards subs. And that is a, a very lucrative and functioning model. And you need to learn that from somebody who really understands how to control quality and how to manage it, which Jason, I hope you do, bring an expert on to talk about dual employment and those issues, how to navigate all that and keep your nose as clean as you can because it's 100%. critically important. Very, and by, by the way, thank you for very kind words, Brandon, very kind words.
They're true. I don't do kind words. I only do true words. And if they happen to be kind or unkind, that's beside the point. And well, so I think, I true thank you for honesty Jason. as well. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you what, contractors, thank you so much for tuning in. We've got more to come. And in the meantime, go check out paintersacademy.com and get registered for the summit. Till next time, God bless you. Hey, contractors, I want to invite you to connect. If you want to get connected with the Contractor Freedom community, simply point your browser to contractorfreedom.live. That's contractorfreedom.live. On there, you'll find the link to our Facebook private group, our page, our newsletter. You'll find a a link to our podcast. So I just want to invite you to, to come on over, join the community. I look forward to getting to know you more. Thanks for listening in today.